and welcome to Kitty Talks, the podcast that shows you how to build a life in alignment with your soul. I'm your host, Kitty Waters, serial entrepreneur and co-creator of the Network for Transformational Leaders. Each week, I interview top thought leaders that are changing the world. They share their life stories on tips on how you can find your purpose. We all have a gift we can bring to the world. Do you feel dead to life, like there's more to it, but you don't know where to start? Perhaps you don't fit in and you can't understand why. Are you pushing all the time and getting nowhere? Do you long to finally be sure which is the right path for you? This podcast is sponsored by my Do Your Dharma course. This eight-week online course, self-study, shows you how to find your purpose. The course demystifies the subject of Dharma and shows you that by following your highest excitement, you can unlock your greatest potential and create the life of your dreams. Go to www.kittytalks.com forward slash do your Dharma. Without further ado, let's dive into the next episode. Today, I've had the pleasure of speaking to Jason Goldberg. What a lovely, lovely guy. He's just so humble and so genuine. Jason is a self-confessed geek, turned entrepreneur, international speaker and entertainer. He's also the author of Prison Break, Vanquish the Victim, Own Your Obstacles and Lead Your Life. He had a very successful career in technology. He was doing technology for about 15 years. And then something deep inside of him said that he wanted to make an impact in other people's lives and businesses. And he's transitioned into what he's doing now. Jason has also had a huge transformation. He was at one point 332 pounds and he's since lost over 130 pounds. Incredible transformation. In this interview, you will hear really how when Jason gave himself permission to be himself and the more he is himself using his comedy, relaxing, entertaining people, the more successful and the more fulfilled he gets. So without further ado, let's dive in. So hello and welcome to Kitty Talks. We share inspirational life stories that empower you to create yours. And today I have a feeling we're going to have a highly entertaining conversation with a wonderful man, Jason Goldberg, international best-selling author and transformational speaker. Welcome to Kitty Talks. I'm actually disappointed already because I thought from the name of the show we were going to have cat hand puppets and that we were going to speak to each other back and forth through the hand puppets. So I'm already disappointed. No, I'm kidding. It's okay. Kidding. We're going to so, cut them in. We're going to cut them in. <laughs> That'll be that'll be the director's cut of this uh, of this interview. <laughs> That's amazing. No, I'm super excited to be here, and and thank you for having me on. And for those those of you listening, you won't know this interview tried not to happen. So the universe tried to have us not connect so many times, but you know what, universe. F off, or we got this. <laughs> yeah, Jason is not wrong. We we this is our is this our third time lucky, or even four? Yeah. Okay, well that's what, at least we got there eventually. That's right. <laughs> oh no, Jason, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Like you, I was just talking to Jason before he came out. We came on live, and I was saying I'm so intrigued about your journey and about your story because obviously you're doing. Tell tell the audience what you're up to. Like you're playing big in the world at the moment. 
Yeah, I mean, I I think so. It doesn't, you know, when you're in it, I don't think it necessarily feels like you're playing big. I'm I'm just, you know, waking up every day and showing up and, and doing what I think needs to be done to serve people. So I guess the way that looks is, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I coach, I coach a lot of coaches and speakers and, and service-based entrepreneurs. Uh, I have an online program that's actually running right now called Playful Prosperity, all about being more playful about creating the world that you want, inner and outer, and uh, and doing a lot of speaking and, and things of that nature. So you know, I, I just, I do whatever I can, like I said, on a daily basis to wake up and say, who can I serve today? And, and to use my gifts to do that, which has taken me years and years and years to discover what it is that my gifts are. They were always there, but for some reason I didn't listen to the calling of what my gifts were or, or they were showing up in their own way. I just wasn't fully stepping into them. So now what I do is I try on a daily basis to really be living into what my gifts are and, uh, and to use those gifts to, to activate gifts in others. Beautiful. And you just totally hit the nail on the head of what I truly believe, actually. You know, that is why we came. I think that's why we all came to Earth is to serve, use our gifts and talents to serve others. So, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why, like, I I mean, and maybe this is part of what we can discuss, but I just, I'm so curious myself. And so I don't know if I have the answer for this, but I'm so curious myself to see like where that went wrong. Like where where did, where did we get it put in our heads that that's not Mm. our purpose? being here and that we should be doing so we should be doing something else instead so maybe we'll go there yeah well um I'd love to because actually you know looking at your background and your history like I could see you had uh obviously the traditional what I call the traditional corporate career like from reading your kind of bio is it a case that you know like we said we're told we need to go to school get good grades go to college you know go to university then go out and get a big six-figure paying job was that the kind of career path or the the story that you bought into earlier in life well it's funny it wasn't because like in my family there were a lot of people who were um I'll say entrepreneurs it it may be more effective to say business owners because I don't know that that's necessarily the exact same thing I think mindset wise and Mm. vision wise that's a little different uh so an owner operator I think is different than an entrepreneur but but in my family I had like you know my un- one of my uncles was uh, was an author, and he and he wrote some you know like uh, personal growth psychology kind of books. And he was also a professor for at some point. And my other uncle had his own business where he did voiceover work. And then my mom, uh, when I was very young, worked in a in a job as like a legal secretary. But from a very young age, she became a nail tech, a beautician, and eventually had her own salon. So I was never pushed to be like you know you need to get this education and you need to go get a job. That never really happened. What I did notice though was that because there were some money struggles in my family, I learned really early on that I did not want to struggle with money. And so my misguided, uh, well-intentioned, but misguided motivation became never struggle with money, find the thing that's going to make money, do that thing. And because I had no, I mean, seeing somebody in your family who is a quote business owner, but who's still not making much money and is still struggling, mm. you don't see entrepreneurship as the path to making money. Right. right? Okay. So you had a negative association almost yeah, with like exactly, entrepreneurship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like, so it's almost like by default, I was talked out of entrepreneurship yeah. uh, and into a corporate job just by seeing the people around me. And, and so that's, that's, I think why I decided to go more in the corporate route. Um, and also just the nature of what I was into. I was always kind of a geek. I was really into technology and like from a very young age. And so, you know, back then, like I'm not that old, but back then, you know, when I was a teenager, <laughs> when I was, you know, a kid, there wasn't a lot of like tech entrepreneurship happening. You know, technology was something that happened in huge companies. Innovation was something that happened in huge companies. So the best I could hope for was to really learn technology and then get into a company 
where I can work around technology and get paid for. So it sounds to me like you were inadvertently following what you enjoyed, even at that early age. Like, was tech is something's totally. always been you really yeah totally yeah I, I totally agree with that the technology stuff i'm still a geek at heart like i still like to screw with things self-proclaimed geek <laughs> totally self-proclaimed geek and probably if you spend 20 minutes with me i would be an other proclaimed geek as well yeah so you were kind of listening to what you enjoyed at a kind of younger age what was the what was the epiphany what was the shift away from the corporate lifestyle you know i think that what the last corporate job that I had, I was actually in for, so I was in corporate, quote unquote corporate from the time I was 16 until the time I was 30, 30, 30, 31, 31 years old. So, so the better part of 15 years there. And the last seven of those years were actually in one company, right? right so okay. I spent my last seven years in corporate <clears throat> in one company and it was a small company, which was great. So I got to, so basically the, the organizational structure in that company, it was a small company. When I started, I think we were probably like maybe just over a million or maybe just under a million in revenue. And when I left seven years later, we were probably closer to seven or eight or nine million. Wow. So it made quite a bit Massive in that growth. time. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. But but the structure of the company was the the owner, the guy who started the company, um, his partner in the company who was also kind of the vice president of sales, and then me, right? So that was kind of the executive management team, which was beautiful because I got to have my hand in everything. I was a director, but well, I did not right away. I got hired on as an engineer. And then as I went through, I got, you know, promotion after promotion after promotion every, you know, few months, six months at the, at the longest to where, you know, within a couple of years, I was a director of engineering and operations. So I was on the sales side. I was on the service side. I was on the marketing side. I was like, I got to touch everything, which was such a freaking gift. And I also had the beautiful experience of having the owner of the company be the person I reported to. And he's a fantastic leader. So I just got to learn so much in this environment. And I think the thing that happened all the way through that, and 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 I think this is because of what I saw in my family with that uh, desire to kind of do your own thing. I was always trying to figure out a way to become part owner of the company I was working in. Right. And so every time I'd have a performance review, I would go to my boss, Dan, and I'd say, Dan, I want to be in this company. Like, how do I buy in? How do I like, you know, can we figure something out? And it was just like the structure wasn't right. And they had outside investors. And But I was always trying to get in there. So I looked back and saw that from the time I was 13 years old, I had actually been an entrepreneur. I would have, my mom would buy me baseball cards. I would find the ones that were the highest value. I would look in this thing called the Beckett magazine, the Beckett guide for the, the cards that were the most high value. And then I literally had a briefcase I got from a garage sale and I would go around and sell the highest you know, value cards to kids that were in the neighborhood. Mm. Right. And I realized I had been doing that like my whole life. I used to buy huge bags of candy from like the bulk stores, like Sam's and Costco. I don't know if they have these in the UK, but Sam's and Costco, big bulk stores. And then I would sell the candy for like a quarter a piece at school. Like I was always <laughs> somebody who really wanted to have my own thing, sure. but I had that weird pull of like, oh, but doing your own thing means you, you don't make money. So eventually it came to a point where I had an opportunity while I was in my last corporate job to partner up with a couple guys and, and have a, a startup to actually go and do our own startup. And that was when it really hit me that like the technology stuff had been great. I had made a ton of money and there was something missing for me in feeling like I owned something, that something right. was mine. Okay. And I, really, I knew I needed to take the leap to do that. And would you say from those corporate jobs, you had that inner fulfillment? No, I don't. I didn't have inner fulfillment. And, and that's, that's, a t that's a tough question because the answer is no, but... God, this is so tough. Uh, you can the answer is no. And it's hard for me to, to say, 
to go down the path of like, and that's what was missing. I didn't have inner fulfillment because I was in a corporate job because that takes away all of my responsibility to create fulfillment in other parts of my life, right? Because I don't, I don't, I also don't like when people demonize corporate jobs. And if you're not an entrepreneur and you're not doing a thing that's like full self-expression, then you're doing something wrong. So I think fulfillment is an inside job, but I also think the environment you're in definitely contributes to or detracts from uh, the ability for you to tap into what fulfillment means for you, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I I would say as well that quite often we're not even aware that that's available for us. You know, it takes us a while to wake up to the fact that actually there's more to life than we've kind of thought there was as such. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's and that's the thing is that even when I left my corporate job and went to my first startup, I still experienced a lot of the same stress and seriousness and struggle and lack of inner fulfillment because I had changed my what and I had changed my where, you know, as far as what I was doing and where I was doing it. But I hadn't changed my who. Right. I hadn't changed who I was being. I hadn't really worked a lot on the mindset portion of this. And so that's why I kind of struggled with that question of like, and then I became an entrepreneur and I felt fulfilled. Like, no, that's that's not at all what happened, actually. So it's it's still an inside job in my mind. Mm. No, you know, I, do, I truly believe that that sense of fulfillment comes from when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, you know, yeah. like a, a kind of, you know, and I do believe that life prepares us almost like you said, you know, those jobs that you had previously were probably you had you got to try out everything. And I bet all those skills now are coming in really handy with what you're doing in your current incarnation. Yeah, they do. And, and, and then what I really realized was like, there were parts of the technology job that I loved, right? Like I said, I love being a geek and I love doing all this stuff. But but when I really look back, and, and this is what I what I invite people to take a look at, because a lot of people say like, oh, I don't know what my passion is. I don't know. I don't know the thing that lights me up. And, and that, there could be a lot of pressure there, right? Like people are like, I know I've, I, yeah. Have you ever seen that? Like people, I've seen this before. I felt this myself as I'll go to a networking event or a conference or whatever. And I meet somebody and, and I say, oh, cool. Like, so what are you up to? And they say, well, my goal is to raise $10 billion for African refugees. They're like, what about you? And I'm like, shit, I don't have anything like that. So like, what's wrong with me that I don't have like this huge mission in life. And it became a thing where it's like finding your mission and finding your purpose became for me counterproductive. It made me feel like worse about myself as opposed yeah. to feeling like more energized. And, and so what I started playing with was exactly what we're talking about. Instead of needing to be tied to some huge mission, um, how could I just tap into the things that light me up? Right. Mm. Because, you know, my, my favorite, liter- literally my number one favorite quote in the world, and you've probably heard this is from Howard Thurman. He says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive. Mm. Because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. Mm, and and so I was, I started searching for that. And what I realized is the easiest way to find this for people is to look back to when you were a kid and either look at what it is you were praised for or Mm -hmm. what it is you got in trouble for on a regular (laughs) basis, right? That was was me, right? I was a class clown and I was a performer and at home I got praised for that. You know, when I was doing little funny shows for my family and at school, I got reprimanded for it. And I got notes in home to my mom saying, Jason's so smart. If you would just shut up and not play around so much, you'd be a great student. And those are the things that I realized showed up in little blips throughout every job I had that I would repress. I would push down and say, there's no place for you here. You need to go away right now. You're not Uh. welcome. And that the more I started allowing that to come in from a place of service, the more I got in tune with what I needed to be doing in life. It's funny, isn't it? How we quite often think that we have to be different things in different environments. And And like, like you discovered, actually, when you just became you and were a bit more fully expressed into you, you know, that's where we become our happiest and we attract some amazing things. 
Absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. And I, and I saw that. And, and that's why, again, going back to the fulfillment thing, I saw that the times I was happiest in my corporate job was when the salesperson would go in to try to sell this $2 million solution. And, and it was, it felt very salesy. And of course they're all very, you know, arms are crossed across the table and they think the salesperson's going to lie to them or screw them out of something. And they would bring me in as kind of the quote unquote closer. And I was on kind of the sales engineer side, right? So I would come in and I would get to just create this amazing relationship with people where we didn't talk about the, the technology at all in the beginning. It was just like getting into their world and making them laugh and making them comfortable. And then we would have a real candid conversation about what it is they were looking for. And I wouldn't sell them any fluff. And I'd say, well, I know the salesperson said this. And, and, and as far as they know, that's the way it works. But it doesn't actually work that way. So let's see if we can find a way to make this work for you so you're, you're picking the right solution. And so being in this place of like building relationships and performing, that always was like showing up in different right. places of what I was doing. And I just didn't take notice or didn't lean fully into it. So how did you talk us to the next bit of your transition? Because you were obviously working in this startup or in this organization where you get to touch loads of different things. How does that then go into obviously the coach that we see before us today? Yeah. So, so when I left that corporate job, I had my first startup. It was a, uh, a technology slash transportation startup. So this is, this was pre Uber and it was kind of an executive transportation company that was not really Uber ish. It was more like NetJets. I don't know if you know about NetJets, but like fractional ownership of jets. We had fractional ownership in these really beautiful vehicles that had mobile offices inside of them. So we had this startup myself and a couple other guys that we worked on. And, um, and it was, it was great. It was, an, it was an awesome idea. Not a great time in the economy to be raising money. And we needed to raise a certain amount of money that we couldn't really get to. So that folded after about a year or so. Um, and, and then I had to go get what I call a BJ. I went and got a BJ. And a BJ is a bridge job. Have you told your wife. <laughs> a bridge job. Yeah, yeah. It's a bridge job. So, so a bridge job means I, I went back into corporate, right? So I had left and I was like, I'm okay. done. I'm never working corporate again. I'm an entrepreneur for life. And then life happened. And, and I had to show up and make the decision. Do I, you know, do I pout and piss and moan about it? Or do I do what needs to be done so that I can continue being an entrepreneur? So I went back into IT for six months, had it up my savings account again, and then left and then never went back. So the second startup I had was a, uh, uh, in partnership with NASA, so the, the shuttle program here in the wow. States. And, and so it's a company where uh, myself and a few guys started up an organization, a technology commercialization company, where we were able to get exclusive license to three patents from the space shuttle program to commercialize for public sector and educational and Department of Defense use, right? right. So we did that, which was super cool as well to be able to work with NASA. But again, it wasn't really lighting me up. I wasn't able to do all the things that I really wanted to do. So through this entire time period, actually from the time I was finishing up the corporate and, and in my book, Prison Break, the entire first chapter is kind of my story of transformation. But I had this massive uh, moment, uh, this moment, uh, this epiphany, this moment of truth that happened for me when I was at that last corporate job. And, and I really turned to personal growth during that time to try to discover why it is that I had so much um, stress and anxiety and, and depression and suicidal thoughts. Like I just, I had so much heaviness that I walked around with uh, mentally. And I was also walking around with a lot of uh, weight physically, right? right. Heaviness. Physically. I was 332 pounds. Wow. Uh, it's hard to imagine so, looking at you now. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. It's hard for, it's hard for people to imagine, but you know, when you lose that much weight, sometimes you look in the mirror and you still see the 332 pound version of you. You know, I've lost yeah. over 130 pounds, wow. but that's, you know, that I've had that for 31 years of my life and that was seven years ago. Uh, so I'm, I'm still getting used to the new me, but, but I, I really leaned on personal growth to figure out like, you know, what people had told me 
that things like, oh, you know, you can control your reality and you control this. And I'm like, yeah, bullshit. And, and so I start digging into this stuff and I start really liking it. I start really getting a lot out of it. And so the reason I say that is because that was pervasive throughout the entire time where I had these other startups, where I kept reading, I kept learning, I hired a coach, like I was doing all this stuff and I was seeing all these transformations. And when I knew that the NASA thing was not where I wanted to go all in for myself, I I wanted to let other people run that and for me to step away from that, then I asked myself essentially, how do I build a business around? How do I keep getting paid to continue learning? And to continue taking what I'm learning and trying to put it through the lens of what I believe, try to take it through the lens of my personality of humor and of levity and of simplifying complex things. How do I do all that stuff and build a business around it? So, so how do like you I, build I'm, a business being you effectively? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there's not like a test you take to figure out that you should build a business around you. You just have to decide. Yeah. But that's a massive point, Jason. That's huge because we we don't look at life like that, do we? We, we totally ask about face but what you're saying is effectively what now you found something that's you just being you doing the yes. things you love and wow well look at you go yeah and even that continues to evolve right so like you're never gonna like anybody yes, who's looking for yeah like anybody who's looking for the thing and this is something that i deal with with my clients all the time like i just i want to find my thing and I'm like, <laughs> it doesn't work like that <laughs> Like, yeah, exactly. It doesn't work that way. And I'll tell people, I say, you know what? Do me a favor. Pick a thing for 90 days. And if on day 91, you realize that's not your thing, pick another thing for 90 days. Like, it's just, there's never going to be a thing. And, and and, And we try to, at our own peril, we try to intellectualize what lights us up. Yeah. Right, we try to intellectualize where we can be at best service in the world, and it doesn't work that way. And and you have to be out there testing the math. That's what I tell people all the time: that there have been no technological or medical or any kind of innovation in the world that has actually happened on paper. People think they have, right? Because there's math equations and there's engineering and there's physics. None of the actual innovation happened until they tested the math. Mm. Right, doing the math on paper means nothing. You have to test the math, and mm. what testing the math means in our world is having low to no attachment to what testing our, our things out in the world is going to mean mm. to realize that as I write about in prison break, it's not your only line in the play. Whatever you create is not going to be the last thing you ever create. Mm. And when we can release all this pressure and be a lot more playful about mm. getting out there and experimenting, then all of this creative energy just starts to be stirred up inside of us. And we find opportunities to serve in ways that do light us up. Mm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it's the purpose conversation is one that's really mixed up. And I think people get confused. They think they're going to wake up one day with an epiphany of, oh my God, this is why I'm here. And of course, like you just described, you have to put one foot in front of the other, go towards what it is you enjoy. And it's like the veil gets lifted. You know, the more you go towards the things that you're passionate about, the next piece of the puzzle is unveiled to you. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like a GPS, right? Like you don't, the GPS doesn't tell you seven turns ahead right now. It just tells you take a left in 500 feet. Mm. You don't know what the next direction is until you take that first left, yes. right? And then you start opening up and you, and you get, you get more hits, but, but it does require the courage to say, um, I'm, I'm going to be okay no matter what. Like I have this, there's this tool that I, I use with my clients a lot. And, and it's a thing I created called prison break questions, right? And prison break questions essentially take whatever it is that is a problem in your world, right? It's, it's great for any kind of sense of scarcity, especially, but anything that you think is a problem in your world, it's a question that doesn't aim to solve the problem. It aims to make the problem no longer problematic. 
right? Mm. And so the, fir- the first time I actually came up with this, 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 this concept was in a one-on-one coaching conversation. And this question just popped up. And so it officially became the very first PBQ, the very first prison break question. And there are limitless prison break questions. You make them up to, to serve whatever situation you're in. But when it comes to like courage to put yourself out there or, or fear of, of being rejected or fear of being judged, the prison break question that I use all the time for myself and my clients is, it, if I knew I was unconditionally loved, supported, and accepted, how would I show up differently in this moment? Mm. And that can be used with you going up Anything. and talking to a girl at a bar, you mm. launching a startup, you having a difficult conversation with, you know, with a friend or a family member. Like if, if I knew, and the formula for a PBQ is essentially, if I knew, what would I do? If I knew that mm. I was unconditionally loved, supported, and accepted, how would I show up different in this moment? Mm. So that's the question I ask myself anytime I'm afraid to go out and do something. Mm, that's beautiful because like we get so caught up, don't we, in our own thinking. I and mean, it's just made up. It's just a made up world that we've made up in our own <laughs> heads. <laughs> but it totally appears, appears and feels so real. So, yeah, it's a beautiful question to break you out of that. Yeah. So advice, because obviously we've got lots of budding entrepreneurs. We've got, you know, the whole purpose of Kitty Talks is by sharing your life story, your life journey. People can see themselves. So a lot of people who listen to this podcast are effectively tuning in. You know, they they've le- they know enough that their purpose isn't just going to come wake up in the middle of the night and, and uh, be there for them. But what advice would you have for somebody listening who's on that exploratory journey about how they can speed up the process? Mm. Yeah. So one of the things is, I, I just want to say it again, because I think it is, it's really important to do is, is to look at what you did as a kid that you either got praised for, or you got in trouble for, because that points to something that came naturally to you yeah. and that lit you up, right? Because if you did it over and over, it's, even if you were getting in trouble for it, there's a sign there that, that there's something there. Now, of course, if it was something that was damaging to people, like if you really enjoyed setting cats on fire when you were a kid, please don't. <laughs> that's, that's not what we're talking about, right? There, there's something, Ignore right? There's something. Like, yeah, yeah. But there's something like either, you know, you, you, you know, you were maybe, and one thing for me too that I noticed, like I, I being really overweight my, my whole life, you know, I was never really looked at as the sexual object for women, but they would come to me with all their problems, Right. And so I developed this real sense of empathy to be with people. And so again, looking back at like things that I, I've done that have come kind of naturally to me or that I've cultivated, I actually don't think anything comes naturally to anybody. I think we cultivate these things and we think it came naturally. Um, but looking at the things that you've cultivated, the skills you've cultivated that have served you in different corporate jobs, those are great things to look at as well for what maybe is pointing to what you should be doing. Mm. Um, another thing to look at too is that I really believe that all of our success is portable and transferable, right? So if you have been really successful in a corporate job, what was it that made you successful about that job? What were the traits? What were the characteristics? What were the personality things that you exhibited, that you executed on in those businesses or in those jobs that allowed you to be successful? Because those are going to be the things you want to extract and put into whatever the new thing is that you're going to be working on. So really looking at like where you've been before. And, and the other thing too is like, it is really, and you said, I think you actually just said the word explore or exploration. Like you have to be willing to get out of your house and explore. Like you're just, you're not going to be able to find the thing you're meant to be doing, even for the next 90 days by sitting behind your computer at home. Right. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Cause again, it's trying to do something intellectually that is spirit based and, and spirit doesn't operate through Facebook. Spirit doesn't operate, you know, in a word document. It just, it can flow through, but it doesn't, it doesn't live there. 
So take in as much as you can, right? Watch videos on YouTube, read books, go to seminars, you know, read autobiographies, watch documentaries, just take in everything you can, because as all this information is flying at you, you don't have to remember it all. You don't have to take it all in. But as it's all flying at you, something's going to happen. Something's going to get triggered. And you're going to say, okay, wait a second. I rewind that documentary piece again. What did, what did he just say Mm. about the fact that if we don't get rid of all the corn production in the world right now, we're all going to die and have diabetes and cancer before we're 35. Because something about that really just sparked my interest. And maybe you never knew that you were interested in revamping the food system. And all of a sudden, you're like, holy shit, I feel a real calling to that. And Mm. then you dive in. But you wouldn't have known that if you didn't take in more information. So is that kind of what you essentially did? You said you kind of, well, you went down a bit of a rabbit hole, started learning, learning, learning. What, how did you make the shift into what you're doing now then? Yeah. So for me, and this is something else. So once you've taken all this information in um, to kind of figure this stuff out, uh, or sorry, you can take all this information to figure something else out. And that can be really powerful. The other way that you can find your thing um, this works especially if you want to be a, a service provider, if you want to be a coach or a speaker or an online educator or a thought leader or something in that realm. First and foremost, look at your own transformation, right? Yes. So my transformation, my story is the backdrop for my work, right? It, it has to be because what I, what I always invite people to find is don't worry about finding the thing you're going to be known for. Like we were mm. just talking about, like, I need to find my thing instead of trying to find the thing you're known for, work to cultivate your lens on the world, right? Figure out what your lens is on the world. Figure out how you see the world. And even more importantly and more powerfully, figure out how you used to see the world, right? Figure out what your lens used to be on the world and what your lens now is on the world. Hmm. And your own story of having seen the world a certain way before, seeing the world a certain way now, and whatever path you took to go between those two points that can become your work in the world. So that, that's what I've done, right? I've leaned on my own transformation. So if you haven't had some level of transformation, and again, you are intellectually trying to decide, well, what would be a good niche? And what would be a good message? And what would be profitable? Stop, right? Because even if you're successful at it, you're not going to have the, 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 the connection to it to sustainably put in the work to have it be a long-term thing. So, mm-hmm. so really focus on doing work on yourself and then seeing how your transformation can serve others. Mm. Yeah, so I'd love to dig into, you obviously mentioned about the weight loss, and it's not just small weight loss that you're talking about. Like how many, 100 and... 133 pounds that I lost. 133 pounds. So obviously I'd love to dig into that more. Like now looking back on it, was it emotional weight that you were carrying? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm positive. Yeah, that, that's a huge part of it. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I was carrying around, you know, all kinds of weight, emotional weight, mental weight, uh, financial weight, right, the weight of money and, and worrying about money and scarcity problems. And then, of course, the physical weight. And, and, the, um, and I think that was also one of the reasons that I probably went so hard on my uh, corporate journey and making money was because that was something I felt I had control over which I felt like I had no control over my weight. That no matter what I did, I, I was big my entire life. Like, you know, a lot of people that get overweight when they're, they're older, they say, you know, if I could just look like the way I looked when I was in high school, that would be amazing. I'm like, well, I don't know what that feels like because I was fat in high school. Like I, I was big my entire life. I, I had no frame of, re- if I wanted a frame of reference to be in shape, I would have to go back to kindergarten. Okay, so I, I, I didn't have anything to really point back to. So, so all I knew was being overweight in my, in my family, like, Almost everybody in my family is overweight, so it's just kind of what I what I had, and it just seemed like no matter what I did, uh, it wouldn't work. 
And, and so after years and years and years of struggle with this, I started researching weight loss surgery, bariatric surgery, and really went in for about a, a year of really digging into this and researching it and decided that I was going to do this because it was, it was something that I really wanted to, to finally take charge of, of my life in a way that I hadn't been able to up to this point. And, and, and the people that I went to, it was, it was a center of excellence. They put you through psychological evaluations. They want to make sure you're actually going to make the changes to your lifestyle. There's wow. a, a gross misconception that weight loss surgery is a silver bullet. And as soon as you have the surgery, you just lose a bunch of weight and you're done and you're skinny for life. And that couldn't be further from the truth. It, it's a great tool, um, but it is not the end all be all. So, um, so I had weight loss surgery seven years ago and then had to really just change my entire relationship with food and exercise and, and to be... Uh, more committed to a healthy lifestyle. And so that's what helped me to lose that weight. But even in the midst of that weight loss, again, I still hadn't addressed the other weight. So even as I'm losing the physical weight, I'm still feeling stressed and anxious and depressed. It's like, shit, I thought losing the physical weight was going to make me feel better. You know, it's, we always think it's something out there and it just wasn't, it was still an inside job for me. Wow. And so how did you conquer this? Because a lot of it, I also think is self-love. You know, and that's, again, depending on how we're brought up, it's, it's not something that was, you know, and really given to me as I was growing up. So how did you cultivate that? So that's, and that's where my, my transformation comes in around being coached. You know, I, I, I finally, I had been doing all this reading and all these things. And, and, and what I really, when I really had the, the massive transformations when I hired my, my second coach, um, so my second coach, who is still my coach to this day, we've been coaching together for four years. I'll coach them as long as, as long as he'll have me until he kicks me out. Uh, and, and he's uh, become a mentor and a friend and, and a creative partner. We, we do stuff together now as well and, and working and, and, uh, his name is Steve Chandler and okay. coaching with him just really changed my life. And he's the one who really got me to understand, um, the, the power of choice that I have, but this is, this is more proof of why it's really important for you to be you because there are plenty of people in the world that talk about what Steve Chandler talks about, right? He wasn't the first one to talk about this, right? And, and, and what I talk about, I'm not the first person and you doing a podcast, you're not the first person to do a podcast. Like none of us are doing things for the first time, but the lens through which we see the world and the way Mm -hmm. that we deliver it. And the fact that we can integrate our characteristics, our genius zone, our experience, our wisdom, our personality into the thing Mm -hmm. is what makes that thing unique. Mm. And so what I got from coaching with, with Chandler, which, which I guess, I don't know if I got lucky or it was just a gift from the universe, was he modeled for me that humor and personal growth can coexist. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because humor is like what I naturally do. But again, I thought that's, no, 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 you go away. This is personal growth. This is serious stuff. This is transforming your life is serious business. And I realized throughout my entire life, I had been told everything that was important was serious. So I was told by doctors, you better get serious about your health. And I immediately shut down on wanting to work on my health. If Mm. you were a serious entrepreneur, you would do this. And I immediately feel constricted about being an entrepreneur. If you want to be in a serious relationship, you better do this. And immediately feeling like being in a relationship feels like it's no fun anymore. So I started realizing that I had been programmed to believe that I had to be serious to be successful. And I finally had a model of somebody who said, no, you don't. Wow. And that opened up everything for me. Wow. I got goosebumps when you said that. Yeah, because I can totally see, because what we give out in the world totally comes back. And if you were kind of literally almost hiding part of your light effectively, then yeah, I can see how that would have massive repercussions. And then when you almost opened up to that, you know, everything's just gone boom. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and you have to play with that. It just doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. I was talking nice. to a woman yesterday who's like, I want to be, you know, like you on camera. I want to be more comfortable and show more of myself. And I'm like, you can do that. And I'm not going to lie to you and say, if you sign up for coaching with me, then in three days, you're going to be totally, <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. It's, nice. it's a process, right? It's like, totally, you're, you're, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're fine. You know, I, I tell people all the time and, and it sounds backwards. You find your gifts by using your gifts. Yeah. And people say that is, that doesn't make sense. How do I, how do I use my gifts if I haven't found them yet? Got to practice. I, yeah, yeah. And what I mean by that is you get out in the world and you just show up. And then the beautiful thing about our world is that the markets, the people that are watching you, the people that are following you, the people that see you will tell you what your gifts are, right? Because sometimes we're too close to our gifts to know. Mm. And then I started having people tell me, you know, a year or two ago, it's about two years ago now, I started having so many people tell me they would see me, you know, give a keynote speech or do a training or they would see a video on Facebook or whatever. And they would come to me and they would say like, oh, you know, I love your talk. Like that was that this piece really resonated with me, whatever. But beyond the content, what they would always say to me is, and you just give me this permission to be more playful with what I do. Mm. And I would be like, oh, that's so great. Thanks so much. And then I go away. And I realized it took me almost two years to realize that they were all pointing and saying, your true gift is that you put things through a lens of playfulness. And that mm. gives me permission to unlock and unleash more of my playful side. So like, mm. listen to what people are saying about you and to you because they are pointing to what your gifts are. Mm, absolutely. No, that's fantastic advice. Really good advice. Jason, thank you. Um, there's been some real nuggets of fantastic advice for our listeners. So, you know, people listening, you know, Jason's story is a massive advert for how we have to grow, almost grow into giving ourselves permission to be ourselves. But when we do that, that's when everything can change. And how, I love what you said about your story almost being the backdrop of transformation that you can serve others with. Mm. Um, before I let you go, I just want you to tell me, like we talked a little bit about, um, how being in service to others is really critical, I think, as well. Like, can you talk to me a bit about your own experience of how that's influenced your life? Yeah, you know, this was, again, a concept that I really got uh, taught and, and, and more than taught, like modeled, integrated, anchored um, from Steve Chandler is just this whole notion of service. And, and just really, it's, it's so hard to explain service, but essentially... For me, it's like, I want to make sure that everything I do, everything I put in the world, um, every time somebody gets an email from me or a phone call from me or a text from me, or they see something on their Facebook feed, or they read something that I've written, whatever it is, I want to make sure that they see that and it has the potential to impact their lives positively, right? And, and that some interaction with me has the potential to make their lives better. And so what that has become for me is that I have actually changed my entire business plan and my business plan can now be summed up very, very easily. Business plan, vision, mission, whatever you want to call it, is my entire mission and vision and business plan is to leave everybody that I meet with 5% more joy than they had when I met them. Beautiful. Right? Yeah, Every interaction, yeah. online, offline, whatever that is. So when I'm looking through the lens of that and I think about reaching out to somebody, and again, I was just coaching somebody on this yesterday and she's like, oh, I was working with another coach and they gave me this, uh, this assignment to email 130 people uh, telling them that I'm a coach and offering them a free coaching session. And, uh, and that if I didn't get 30 on the books by the next week, he was going to cancel our session. And I said, cool. Okay. That, that's fine. That's, that, that's what he wanted you to do. That that's fine. And she said, and I just couldn't do it. It just didn't feel in alignment with me. And I said, yeah, because you're somebody who wants to serve. And if somebody gets an email from you and they look at it and they have the same energy seeing an email from you that they do from the dentist, reminding them they have a teeth cleaning coming up, then you didn't serve them. Right. 
So mm-hmm. I want somebody to see an email from me and feel like, oh, my life is 5% better for reading this email. So I just try to do that in every way, shape, and form. If I want to reach out to somebody, if I want to just anchor and deepen my work with a client, if I want to you know, just help a stranger out in the world, it's like, how can I serve in this moment? How can I make their life 5% better than what it was before they met me? And that's, mm-hmm. to me, that's the cornerstone of service. Mm. Yeah, and such a beautiful way to live life. Yeah. Just give a, you know, just give a crap. This is what I tell people all the time. I'm like, well, how do I do? Just give a crap. No, but like, what are the tactics? No, just give a crap. Just if you give a crap about the people in your world, yeah. service is what happens as a byproduct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, being present and showing up for them, and like you said, genuinely caring. And you know, it, it's not difficult, but it's um, it has like massive repercussions and makes you feel amazing as well. Yeah, it's only, and I'll say one last thing about that. It's only difficult when you use it as a strategy. Mm. So do not look at service as a strategy. This is not, there's no in order to, there's no, I, t- I, I serve this person with an email in order to get them to do something in return. No. If it's service as a strategy, it's not service. Mm. Serving will bring, that you will, you will be rewarded from serving, maybe not directly from the person you serve, but you will have made a creative contribution to the universe and you are always paid back for that. Mm. But service as a strategy is not serving. Truly serving is completely detached from an outcome and and really all about helping to make that person's life better. Mm. No, Jason, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our conversation. (laughs) Me too. I'm so happy we finally got to do it. (laughs) Yeah, it's taken us a while, but there's obviously a reason for that. Um, And Jason has very kindly offered to give away his, uh, well, it's the first chapter of his book, Prison Bake. No, the whole book. Oh, the whole book. I didn't realize. The whole book. Yeah, no, I want to give you guys, yeah, the whole book. So I saw you. Yeah. So you have a link, uh, get it's getprisonbreak.com slash kitty talks. And I know it'll be in the show notes, but yeah. you can get a, a digital and audio, or if you're in the United States, a paperback copy of prison break for free. Oh, I'm going to move to the United States just so I can get my <laughs> I'll case. I'll send you back. one. You're a special case. <laughs> I've been told that before. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard that a lot. Yeah, I heard that a lot, but no, Jason, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with kitty talks. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. (laughs) We will see you next week with another amazing guest and life story. Bye-bye. This podcast was sponsored by my Do Your Dharma course. Create a life so good that you pinch yourself. This eight-week online course demystifies Dharma and shows you how to tune in to why you're really here. Go to www.kittytalks.com forward slash do your dharma.